the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome everybody to the USL show. It's been a minute. We had a weird ending there. And we're going to talk all about that and more today. We have Jeff Reuter from The Athletic on. And uh, we got to do this at least once a year, hopefully a few times a year, to kind of cover everything there is to cover. Um, not to mention all the news you break on a regular basis here. But we have a Jake Edwards interview to talk about. Welcome, Jay, uh, Jeff. How are you doing, man? Yeah, we'll just, I mean, I might as well be Jake, right? I, I think that a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of this discussion this time is going to be here is, is going to be about both what the league said and then trying to read into it. And, and as you know, with the States of the League interview, whether it's Jake Edwards, Don Garber, any head of any professional league, they can only say so much. Exactly. And I understand that there are some things, you know, and I saw some of the reactions too on Twitter where people were saying, you know, like, I wish that they were talking about, I don't know, like bringing back stuff they'd already talked about from earlier in the season regarding, um, I'm trying to think of good examples of that even, but but I think it was like competition format. It was about expansion. It was about, uh, some of these things have already interviewed him on. So I'm sure some of those will leak into here as well, as well as some kind of posturing and understanding things. But yeah, Jake, Jeff, you name it. My brother's name is Jake. So I was called Jake a lot oh. growing up. So <laughs> yeah. That very close to home as well. No kidding. I named my kids all very different names, but I do the same thing. There's no avoiding Smart it. Uh, but like you said, it's kind of cool to have you on because not only do you have Jake's message, but we can get a little more... Uh, Harry with our with our response to those right. things right so that's the fun right. part so let's you know I'm basically I'm, I'm as usual I kind of just follow your outline for what you wrote which is great um, because you did a great job so let's just do that let's start right from the beginning beginning we'll work our way through I have a bit of a rabbit trail planned in there and we'll see how that right. goes in the middle but let's start with the 2020 season looking back on it um, why don't you just kind of start us off and I'll, I'll lead us on as you go yeah, it's. Uh, I think that as they look back at 2020, uh, you won't be surprised to hear that their main takeaway is going to be one of progress, right? <laughs> and I, I think that it's it's understandable because if you think back to the history, the recent history, even of lower division soccer in the U.S., it's it's as much about proving that you aren't your predecessors and you have learned from the mistakes they made. And I think in that sense, that is something that the league was very proactive about discussing was, uh, yeah, COVID. And yeah, we canceled our finals. But let's who needs to talk about that? Why don't we just talk about um, the TV numbers growing through ESPN Plus? Let's talk about the expansion teams we have coming up. Let's talk about the committees that we've started, the response we had to like the police shooting of Jacob Blake and a couple of other touchy moments or touchstone moments that uh, set off reactions from the Black Player Coalition and from other groups within the USL's player pool. Let's talk about, you know, those sorts of things. Let's talk about these things that look like they're progress. Let's sweep the rest under the rug a little bit and then they'll resurface later in the interview, right? And, and I think that that's, again, understandable because if you look at the history of lower division soccer in the U.S., it's one of uh, expiration dates, 
whether you're talking about clubs or you're talking about leagues, and it's it's something that I know we'll get into later because of two of the clubs and one that's very near and dear to your heart and mine as well. Um, it's, you know, they're going to want to, I don't know, like I guess when you look at 2020 with how closely you cover the leagues, do you look at it as one where you can, with a serious tone, talk about progress, or does it feel like that's just not fully based in reality? Well, I, I will say that he said the thing that I pulled from it that spoke really strongly to me was stronger because of the challenges that we went through. And so that's obviously that is softened like crazy, but I it's got to be true. I mean, we're going to get into it, but like, look at all the terrible things that happened last year. And some of it was because they weren't ready. And then some of it was because um, really crazy stuff happened. And including this positive thing here, this 500% increase in viewership, a lot of right. people with nothing else to do. So that was pretty great, right? So, Or a lot of people who maybe would have been in stadiums otherwise who are suddenly yeah. tuning in. You have to keep in mind that like, once fans are allowed back, whether that's midway through 21 or whenever, that number is almost certain to drop a little, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that interest is lower. It's that the people who are watching on their couches are now watching in the stands. Absolutely. And I imagine there was an increase anyway, because you look at the social media increase, you look at the media coverage increase. A lot of that is you personally, but (laughs) um, it's good. You know, USL is improving those areas. I don't think that's too much of a stretch, but it is something we should take with a grain of salt to a certain extent. Um, You asked some hard questions and you brought up a lot of the difficult uh, topics. I think the hardest question uh, that you asked him was talking about the postponements and you asked whether the policies for last year were good enough based on the results. Mm. Um, yeah. Good question there, man. It was a hard one to ask and, and he took it. He answered it. Yeah. I think that, sorry, blame my dog here. If you hear squeaking, it's not <laughs> a car failing to start. It's our Greyhound. Um, yeah. I think that there's, there's an understandable defense and, and they gave themselves a fair amount of a loophole with the, you know, a responsible amount of risk quote that um, I think that that quote at the time looked very, uh, it left the door open certainly more than you would like to see from a medical expert vetting, you know, like what you want, what you want, ideally, if you're a player, if you're a employee at a club, or you're somebody who's just kind of invested in the overall stability and health and quality of professional soccer in the United States at all levels, um, which is where I come into this conversation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want something better than, yeah, it's a risk, but we're doing it anyway. And that's what we got. And I think that it's easy when you're looking at one-off cases between RGV, Austin, Tulsa, um, Loudon, you know, some of these clubs that had a, at least one game canceled throughout the season because of COVID. But when you set yourself up on a crash course for two finals Mm -hmm. and neither is able to be played because there are double digit numbers of cases on teams involved in both of those finals, which there were, there were over 10 cases in the instances of Omaha and Tampa Bay alone. I don't know if you can seriously and credibly look back at your protocols and say that they were sufficient because At that point, we're talking about a dozen people who got this just within the span of a week in two different, very different markets of the country. This isn't like they're geographically similar either. Um, 
and and you don't know what this is going to do long term like we don't know what's going to happen in five years to people who got the coronavirus like we can't know there's just no there's no precedent there's no playbook there's no um longevity studies with any sort of accuracy because we're living through this in real time so in that respect it's going to unfortunately take some years to figure out you know like i've heard that uh birmingham legion did contract tracing at the end of the year and found that there were zero cases traced back to them hosting fans that's fantastic that is that's something that frankly i think should be trumpeted in that that's something that that you know if you're coming back in this manner good that's the way you have to do it that said i also know that from the first game that colorado springs held um in el paso county um there was one case traced back to just the first game Mm. so it's just it's such a range and and so many it's just playing it loose with something that's so serious and where, where the gravity of what the consequences could be is so beyond the pale of what a soccer league and a soccer club should be opening its players and its fans up to. Yeah. Um, that I, I think there was just a tinge of acknowledging that that was missing, um, not just in this interview, but throughout the course of 2020. Yeah, and I th- I'm of two minds with that too because I do think it's interesting to view them as both a business um, but also as a business that is affecting a lot of people over a large span of our country. And so are they a leader in how we should deal with COVID-19 in our country or are they just trying to survive as a business? And so for sure they were struggling with those two things. And all right. over the country, if you were to go hard to one side and be like, well, they're just a business trying to make it, on that side, you know, they were doing the whole, well, we're going to leave it up to local governments. We're going to point to this, this medical advice and we're going to talk to what the mayor or the, the governor says. And so it's not on us. We're doing what we're allowed to do. And to be fair, businesses all over the country were towing that line, you know, uh, of all kinds. And yeah. so it is I think it is fair to kind of look at it in both ways. But it's risky. It's risking people's lives. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it has to be acknowledged both ways, I'd say. The, the only thing I would push back on in terms of other businesses were doing this is there are few, if any, other businesses that were trying to put four, four figure crowds of people into a contained area. <laughs> it's one thing if you're a restaurant trying to open your patio to 40 people or you're a restaurant that tries to pass that you have the ventilation, the doors open in the summer where you're able to put 20 people inside of your building without being a, a spreader space. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing. But when you're trying to put over 5,000 people in some cases, if you're trying to put 1,000 people in some cases, if you're really trying to vet it, that's a very different equation to me than if you're looking at the food and beverage industry personally. I, yeah, great. I think that's a good way to leave that because I, I agree with uh, that thought process as well. Um, next year, it's more of the same kind of. He, you asked him about next year's policies and he said local government. We're not sure what Biden's going to do, what CDC is going to do under the new administration. So it sounds like right. more of the same. Uh, I don't know if you can talk about, you know, there's rumors of a pushback um, start date to May. Um, anything else you can tell us here? It, it's very hard to foresee them playing in March. And I, I think that... In, in general, as you look back at 2020, the, the, the USL was in this, they were, they were caught in two minds where one was, let's be proactive. Let's make sure that we have tunnel vision and are focusing purely on what we need to do as an ecosystem, what's best for our clubs, 
what's best for our leagues. On the other hand, as with most things, the USL does still take, regardless of how that relationship looks, they take a lot of guidance from what Major League Soccer does. And and as you're looking at MLS, you're seeing a league which is determined to still play in March that is still talking as if there will be potential for fans to be in stadiums in March after this whatever number wave we're on throughout the country right now. And as our, our outgoing commander-in-chief decides not to order enough <laughs> vaccines for his people, things like that, once, once you get to that point, um, I think an abundance of caution is required. And I think that's where you're seeing Grant Wall first report, and I was able to confirm um, the, um, the target date within May as being more likely. But still, if you're thinking that you're going to be able to host close to your usual crowds by May, hmm. that's putting a lot of faith in communities and a, federate, a federal level that just haven't been present so far. So why would that suddenly change nine months in? Yeah. And I, I, again, it, it just feels like this different reality where I understand the financial implications this has had for several clubs. We've seen two that have left far sooner than they should have this off season already. Um, but that doesn't mean that you suddenly just like say, Oh, well, it's unfortunately lost Reno and St. Louis, but ah, those were one-offs. We're just going to continue and, and assume that we're going. No, you have to be able to do it in a measured way. And then the other question comes, if that is your priority, then how are, I, maybe I don't want to get into this just yet. I think this feels like it might be jumping a few points, but if your priority is purely how do we do this so we're able to generate match day revenue, then you're putting your main central product, which is professional soccer, at the second and third divisions of the U.S. pyramid in the back seat to business, and are you in the wrong industry if that's your case? Mm. Might be too early for that conversation just yet, yeah. but that is something that throughout all of this you have to keep in mind is if that is the chief priority and you're unwilling to play without that, maybe you invested in the wrong thing, mm. frankly. Interesting thought. And I'm not sure. afraid to say that. Yeah, That's like <laughs> um, I do think this is, it's a bit early for us to really dig into this one. So I think we'll spend our money, our money, our time on, on other things for sure, because it's just so much goes into that thought process and we're going to beat it to death before next May anyway. So um, I think we'll move right. on to what you alluded to, which is St. Louis FC and Reno 1868, both folding. Uh, COVID is part of that answer, if not most of that answer, but you know, St. Louis, a little bit of other things too, huh? So right. um, yeah, what, what did you draw from those two things? Yeah, those were two clubs that were already in sort of financial they, they were reviewing their books very closely before the pandemic already. And, and I don't think that Reno was necessarily looking at 2020 being their last season, but they had a very, very low player wage budget for USL championship standards. Um, and the fact that they were able to finish atop the, the regular season standings is absolutely remarkable. And whoever gets Ian Russell at his next coaching job is they, they're going to be so much better for that. Um, but you know, they're, they're very different cases, right? Because in one, and, and I understand that and acknowledge that as Jake Edwards says that in the interview is that with St. Louis, you have the Jim Cavanaugh factor, which obviously you're very well versed in and, and how much sway does he have within the MLS to the Lou group? 
for the loose, sorry, whatever. Um, I don't know, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like it's an outsized amount, but if it's enough for that to be cited as a reason why they lessened their investment in the USL side of it, then fair play, it must be something to it. Um, with Reno, they have a billionaire owner who owns an NBA and a WNBA franchise who looked at in minor league baseball, I guess, for a, probably a closer corollary of what he expects financially and looks at that and says, huh, okay, well, this isn't making money, so I'm just going to drop it. And I don't think that one was nearly as much about the stadium as Fresno had been last year, okay. whereas that was very clearly that you had an owner who was not financially capable of building a stadium without fully funding from the public and without the public being able to do that, pack it up and move up the coast. So in, in this case, I mean, like, yeah, it's, it, it's confusing why Herb Simon, this would be the time, but the, the I guess the economics logic is p billionaires don't become billionaires if they just sink money into things and let it continue to operate in the red. Yeah. But it's unfortunate because that's a part that is a club that overperformed in every way imaginable yeah. except for the box office. And again, the box office ends up being the thing that takes out arguably the best developmental club in the USL championship in terms of players who aren't in an MLS team directly. Yes, there was some of that, but if you're looking at, you know, the progress of players like Kevin Partita, like Danny Masovsky, um, they'd been doing it very well at a level better than most clubs in this league. And if you're a second division, that should be a focus. And uh, they were doing it very well. And it's unfortunate to see them go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that they had a, a low salary. That was kind of a, a shock to me. That's incredible. Um, but, you know, with St. Louis FC, we see a little bit of MLS and USL conversation happening here. Um, it's a theme throughout the article, as you said, in his responses. And, um, yeah, I guess the Reserve League is brought up here. And I kind of wanted to dip into that because it's something I've been dying to talk about more. Uh, I've been yeah. able to talk offline with a lot of different people, and I'm really curious about your view. I kind of want to like – it hasn't been talked about much as how it pertains – how it affects the USL, and I think yeah. maybe we can get that conversation started a little better. Sure, yeah, and I think that's something I, I do plan on writing about. Um, the reason my understanding is – so I reported this, it feels like, ages ago. It was, I think – two months ago now or something that, that major league soccer is going to be launching a U 23 reserves league. Um, so, so not the old kind of NFL practice squad style. It used to be a decade ago. If you're versed in what MLS reserves once was, it's much more like what, the, like the premier league reserves, what the air reserves would be, you know, like, like what most countries have, which is again, like when players get out of the Academy, if they're not ready to push for first team minutes, we at least have a place for them to go. Um, so it becomes a U 23 league. Um, they're, they're finalizing details of how that'll look when, when it was reported. And I think when it was expected to be announced at first, my understanding is that it was going to be a very bare bones sort of thing. It was going to be, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. Don't ask us how, because we don't know how yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. which is if, if there's anything that screams quintessential American soccer, <laughs> that is the ideology now that I think about it. Um, no, but I think then you move to, um, uh, you know, they're, they're figuring out things like they had been eyeing up the potential of D3 sanctioning, and now they're going to seriously look and say, okay, is that something we need? Mm -hmm. Is that something that we truly need to get into that level of the pyramid? Or can we just operate this as an unsanctioned, but or, highly policed by its clubs 
Because yeah. of course it would have to be, right? So like that could be an avenue, which in that case, would that be better or worse for League One? I think that's still neutral. I think just the, the, the pure operation of this league, pulling reserve teams out of the league, makes the league less stable. Mm. Same thing that would have happened if they had, you know, cut the partnership in 2017 or something yeah. for the championship. Same exact same sort of effect on the ecosystem. Yeah, I do. I do think perhaps unsanctioned means they can do whatever the heck they want with their player movements and things like that. I would find that very interesting if they were to do that. I feel like it would be a bit of a cheat um, at first glance. Yeah. Now I could be proved wrong, but just at first glance, that's kind of the vibe I get. Like they would almost yeah, lean toward just, that. The only thing I will say is we are so conditioned to such a rigid structure that doesn't exactly exist in most countries. Most countries haven't had to worry about this because they just inherited a league. The, the football league existed long before people had to worry about, okay, well, is um, Forrest Green going to meet the EFL standards after they get promoted from the National League, right? Like they didn't, no one had to worry about that in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So we are operating in one where they're they're doing it the other way, where they're saying these are the standards and now you meet them instead of you're in here and let's make sure you're at a good level and let's see what we can do to help get you over the line. So that's, beside the point but i think we need to keep in mind as we talk about u.s sanctioning it's not something as if we're looking at it purely from a perspective of like these indicate something is good and if they don't meet it something is baddie or bad or rogue or whatever we are way 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 too conditioned to these things and they are important don't get me wrong and i bring them up in my reporting as often as they're relevant Mm. but that doesn't mean that this reserves league couldn't function effectively even if it doesn't have every stadium hosting a thousand fans as one example of like yeah. the baseline three standard oh absolutely yeah. yeah like especially the baseline requirements do seem meaningless and arbitrary for sure um, right. but i guess i do wonder about just like there are some rules that involve sanctioning and so i wonder about whether that could be yeah. bad but it, freedom is good too if freedom allows you to do a lot of things to grow and, and to do what you need to do so i could see it for sure um, but I'm also curious about like a reserve league, um, you know, how does that affect USL one? I, I know, I guess this is the quote that I got from Jake that I really liked. It's a long one. So I apologize, but oh, it's fine. I need time to sip some water anyway. There we go. Okay. So, um, he said he was basically contrasting the reserve league that's to come with what he plans for league one. He said league one will be community based organizations who are focused on winning soccer matches. that want to represent their communities to the fullest while building a supporter base and a culture, right? That's very much like this is an independent club and reserve clubs are not like this at all. Okay. He's saying MLS reserve leagues would be a great step forward because they provide a great platform for those teams whose sole interest is in player development that would be an appropriate place for those clubs to achieve those goals. So I think it's a very positive step forward for the MLS um, is to make sure they provide that platform for their clubs. And then they don't, he, yep. he said something about, they don't have to worry about game day kind of stuff. They don't have to worry about the yes. things that we care about is more or less, you know, if I were to rephrase it, um, which I thought was a nice no, little jab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what do you think about those two things? Like, actually, no, I mean, this is what you tweeted about yesterday is like, do we care about game day? Um, countries all over the world do it the other way. What's the problem? And I think you're right to a certain extent, for sure. I think it's very strange to see the leader of a league system openly discrediting the work of clubs whose chief focus is helping players get better in their career. 
That's, I mean, he masked it, but more or less, it, yeah. No, it, it, <laughs> one sentence. That's what that is, isn't it, Phil? Like yeah. it's it's saying, how dare Real monarchs not care about putting in more Real? Yeah, they're Spanish suddenly. Real <laughs> monarchs. How dare the monarchs try have the gall to try to make sure that Justin Portillo is better equipped to play in Major League Soccer or mm-hmm. Noah Powder? or Douglas Martinez. How dare they? How dare Red Bulls 2 focus solely this year on getting Kalen Clark ready to become a future starter for RB Leipzig and starting that journey at the second division of American soccer, but not look at how do we ensure more people come to these games? How dare they? Like, it's just, it's baffling to me because what we have lost a sense of, in my opinion, is that if you're operating in the third division of American soccer, a division that has never been stable in the history until Major League Soccer partnered with the USL in 2014 or 2015, mm-hmm. and suddenly that third tier became something viable and ended up surpassing the then second tier NASL. Like, the lower divisions of every country exist so that players and coaches and executives have a chance to cut their teeth, to get a sense of what they're doing, and then promote themselves with experience to go to a higher tier. Sometimes that happens through promotion and relegation when teams have players who move up the ranks. Oftentimes, though, it is a player individually who's playing very well. Everyone wants to talk about Jamie Vardy. I'll talk about Jared Bowen as well, who's now at West Ham. West Ham a winger who was just tearing up the EFL championship and then was signed for a transfer fee, which goes back to his club, which they're able to put into the academy, the business, the roster. What's wrong with that? Why is that not something that you can look at and say that is an equal priority? And in fact, if we execute that side very well, more people are going to come to our games. So I'm also based out of an MLB market, right? The Minnesota Twins are here. And the Minnesota Twins just changed their AAA affiliate to the St. Paul Saints. The St. Paul Saints used to be an independent club, kind of like the the NISA of baseball, where it's not part of this like hierarchy. There's no partnerships, but it's a good quality of play. It's much more about the fan experience, community, all this stuff. And now they're moving into the the minor league baseball structure. And in, in the sense of that, like, the Saints will probably continue to sell out their stadiums because they have the Twins AAA players, but they're going to work as hard as they can because they're owned, co-owned by Bill Murray, and so they're going to feel obligated to be entertainment still. And you can do both of those mm-hmm. within the same team. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, look, we want to make sure. I, I'm going to pick on Reno because they're not a club anymore. Right. Like what's wrong with Reno coming in and saying, we're going to sign guys who went uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds does a great job of this too with Bob Lilly, where you find a guy who is a third round pick in the super draft goes unsigned. You take in Robbie Mertz, you work with him for a couple of years and then he's going to move on and he's going to do something else. And like, he has a deal. I'm, I'm waiting to report it probably after this podcast, actually, like you can, you can do all of that. And maybe fans will say, we've got some really cool young domestic players who keep coming in. Lily knows what to do with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to go. And it just so happens we're at a riverfront stadium. So, of course, it's going to look nice. right? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I I think that it's, it's very strange to me to see just how pointed and discouraging a lot of the league messaging over the last two years, I would say, 
it that has really ramped up and that sort of we're not our affiliates we're our independent clubs and i understand that side of it completely but your independent clubs are doing the exact same thing in many cases yeah and, and to try to just look at it and say real monarchs is bad for the usl because they're way more focused on developing players than um than they are in drawing fans and being a business being a sustainable operating in the black ideally by 2026 soccer entity if that's your focus maybe maybe it says something about the clubs that are so hell-bent on that side of it that monarchs are still the most recent league-wide champion Mm -hmm. you can do it maybe it isn't a bad thing to be focusing on your players and your development and giving them opportunities to play in high-stakes situations maybe that's not a bad thing at all because they're doing that so much better than every single other club was doing in 2019 Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know like you you look at the table and like Either the playoffs matter or they don't. Either it's really cool that you have eight guys who used to play in the USL starting for the U.S. men's national team last night because they were there to develop, or it's a shame that they had to play in the championship at clubs that didn't care about getting tickets. You can't play both, and right now they're leaning into one but still like to get the credit for the other one. It's just It doesn't make any sense to me as someone who understands both how the league operates and also understands just how professional soccer in the world works. It doesn't line up. Hmm. so much it doesn't line up yeah yeah well maybe he's pandering to uh guys like me who i do lean toward liking those independent clubs for sure and i appreciate that they do have the 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 crowds the atmosphere um and i really hate when they got to go play portland timbers too who haven't won a game you know almost the season that kind of thing with no crowd that sucks i hate watching that um but at the same time um, I do love what you just mentioned that eight guys played in that game last night that, that were in the USL. Um, what I saw a picture of Mueller playing for the menace recently, um, right. yeah. back in the day. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and so I think what I would lean into is think good. This isn't for sure yet, but it's looking like the reserve league could have been, Hey, MLS or uh, USL, we're taking all of them and you're not going to get any of them. You want to say things like this, we're going to take them all and you don't get any of them. Whereas the USL, I don't think wants to lose everybody, you know, Red Bulls too. They do it right. Right. Um, I think real monarchs, in my opinion, they do it right. Um, But um, I don't think USL wanted to lose them all, but they do say these kinds of things. I just think it's a little bit of both. And and I'm really glad they're not all leaving. And some of Mm -hmm. that seemed to be even like the club's desire to stay in a place like the USL um this reserve league we don't even know what it's going to look like not sure it's totally figured out at all they may be digging into something they didn't realize was how hard it was you know what i mean and and we'll see how it goes but it's got to be both and i regret being too strong on the independent side um in the past and it's a very new thing that i really do i see guys like ledesma and um who else soto you know like these guys who played for two sides that are ledesma's playing for psv as we speak Right. It's amazing to see. And I want to brag about that. I want to be proud of that. So that means I can't, like you said, go back and say this is bad for the league. It's both. It's a little of both. We got to have a little bit of both, just like the rest of the world. Just like and it the has rest to be. World. I mean, like, and, and this, again, this isn't new because of the reserves league. Like, think back, it feels like decades ago, right? But remember when the, the 2020 TV schedule came out and they had put out, like, 
one we, we have a USL match of the week on ESPN two or ESPN News or ESPN Deportes, and you looked at those matchups and there wasn't a single affiliate. The defending champion wasn't going to be on national TV. I think was the main hook of like what are they doing here? <laughs> like they don't they don't want to showcase that, and I understand why, right? Like what like for the exact reason that you said, what looks better watching New Mexico versus Portland at then Providence Park, and then it was intended to be Hillsboro. Or watching New Mexico in Portland or New Mexico and anyone else in New Mexico, right? I get it. I completely understand it. And if you get one game a week, you want to make sure that you have your best sales pitch possible. But I think there are some people, some MLS fans in particular, who would be more interested in watching the USL if they knew, okay, there are six clubs that still take seriously the idea of signing USL championship players. Let's help try to identify those players. And that's something I try to do once or twice a year is look at these are the guys on independent or affiliated clubs who have that potential to go to major league soccer. Love it. Um, People want that people want to watch the soccer part of soccer. They don't always need to just see wow, full stadium. All right. I want to watch this now. Mm -hmm. Not always. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, you get it. It's a really big thing right now. Like the hipster soccer in the U S thing to do is to just go look at those kids and almost all of them are playing for two sides. And so, you know, how many guys are in the Netherlands are logging on to YouTube to watch the USL play? You know, how many of those numbers are like scouts and guys looking for players on, on two teams. And so it's still very, very important. It's still very exciting in my opinion. So I agree with you. I think it's not something to be dismissed so easily. Um, do you think this reserve club, no, let's, I don't even know if it's related or not, but I feel like the reserve league will affect, um, what you just mentioned, which is finding independent USL championship players that might have the opportunity to move to MLS. It's been hard because of the pay structure and who's willing to give a chance to who they're on the same pay structure as someone from Argentina. And so if you have the two side by side, who are you going to pick? Um, I always like to mention Tudul uh, Raman was on uh, total soccer show, I believe, or no scuffed and uh, mm-hmm. talked about that exact thing. I recommend you go look for that. If you're confused, I'm still having, I still haven't figured it out. I don't know what you feel about that or if you can help us understand better. Just in terms specifically of, if you're talking like the, the salary and the transfer fee are going to be similar for one or the other, who do you sign? Yeah. That and like what other reasons other than we don't want to give them a chance um, what other reasons are guys not signing USL championship guys? I, I think that there's there's a few. One that I touched on January, I interviewed people from Inter Miami, Real Salt Lake, and it's not good that I don't remember the third club. <laughs> but I interviewed. <laughs> I write too much. Um, I, I did an interview or a piece about why there aren't more players moving from the USL to Major League Soccer, and, and I think that one thing that they cited, which I have absolutely seen play out in real time ever since, is that general managers have or sporting directors have become very happy with the idea of we get to the third round of the Super Draft or what used to be the fourth round was the final round. Now it's down to three. Um, as reported by uh, myself and Pablo Mora at The Athletic, um, where that is um, that is the time to pass on picks. Hmm. And you don't know these guys. You haven't watched them play college. You don't watch college soccer. You watched the combine, and they were too short. They couldn't jump high enough. They didn't do enough reps. They weren't quick enough. They just didn't look like a soccer player. These kind of 1980s feels like scouting metrics that a lot of clubs still use because they don't have sophisticated scouting networks and analytics. So how what else do they have to do? Yeah. But say the, the typical Moneyball stuff like, 
you know, like the attractiveness of their partner or any of this other stuff, right? Like, and, and it's it's old school scouting, but it's what a lot of MLS clubs still do. So they'll look at, I'm just going to pick on Robbie Mertz again because he was basically undrafted. Like he was selected, wasn't signed, went to Pittsburgh, has torn it up, awesome. right? Yeah. And they'll look and they'll say, oh, that Mertz kid? Yeah, we passed on him. We took a different player instead and that player didn't make it. So Mertz isn't better than that player because we believe we are very good at identifying it. And I don't care if he's scored, what is it? Like, like 12 goals in 42 games and had like 10 assists in that same span, some numbers like that. I don't know. Um, Like he's not, he's five, seven. And we knew that he wasn't that good of a player. So we're just not going to give him another chance. There's no chance he could have possibly gotten to be a better professional soccer player when he started playing professional soccer. There's just no chance. And, and there's a lot of hubris. There's a lot of ego that goes into this and clubs not wanting, feeling like as if we're going to point at them and say, you were wrong about that. Which like, who does that? I don't know. That's just not a thing that happens. People look and they say, oh, you've identified a player who's improved. And if he comes in and doesn't do anything, okay, well, you signed him for $25,000 in transfer fee and he's on a league minimum salary on your supplemental roster. If he doesn't do anything, we will forget about him by week 10. Yeah. Like, realistically, like the floor is so low. Whereas to, to get back to your question about the Argentine guy, similar numbers, let's say you're using an international spot. Inherently he's more valuable, no matter how much it took to acquire him. There are going to be higher expectations because it isn't just what is that player doing? It's what is that player doing compared to another guy you could have signed with that international slot. It's like allocation money where it's not important. It's not real until it's real and it's impacting your team. And that's when it comes into play. It's Mm -hmm. why, Sorry, I, I I still do cover MLS as heavily as I cover oh, yeah. USL, if not more heavily, to be yeah. fair. Um, so these are reference points I'm going to use. Some some listeners won't find this useful. Some will. Where you're looking at the impact of these players and you're saying, okay, was that worth an international spot? And it's not in a vacuum. It's in a broader perspective of what else could we have done with this. Instead of signing a 23-year-old Argentine who – Turns out if you're 23 and not playing regularly in Argentina, maybe you're not going to be good enough for the United States. Maybe because that is a country that is very, very good at identifying and giving minutes to young quality players because they understand the sell on potential of these players. They've seen it play out time and time again. Um, And so if you're signing a guy just on a flyer because he's really good at playing keepy uppy with himself, or he's like got a great highlight reel of the 10 plays he did well, He's Andrew Carlton hmm. at that point, right? And why don't you just sign Andrew Carlton at a league minimum salary and uh, make sure that he's kept out of areas where he can get into trouble off the field? Like, you know, like you can do these sorts of things that don't cost you additional resources. And Major League Soccer, um, for whatever reason, would rather go for the look at us identifying this very cheap, overlooked Argentine, which, by the way, they didn't do because they didn't sign Christian Pirano. Um, <laughs> look at what we did. <laughs> we're so good at finding new players yeah. compared to doing the homework that was started by San Antonio that we then helped mm. translate to our level. Man, great great reference there. I guess the other one I'm wondering is, does Tam and Gam come into play, whereas they could find a guy on the low end of MLS much easier than they could find a guy at the top of USL as far as the transfer money? Is that part of it too? Yeah, because that's money given to them by the league instead of their real money. So again, like you're you're sending Monopoly money, but the Monopoly, you're sending like tickets at a carnival or an arcade. And And like two side players are part of that as well, right? As far as Gam and Tam, right? They, 
in a sense, so let's say I'm trying to think of a good example of this, like a player who was only on a two, like Noah Powder in 2020 was signed to Monarchs. RSL would have had a right of first refusal mm-hmm. and they could have said, yeah, we don't, we're not planning on signing him. And of course, then they could have stepped in and said, yeah, of course we're planning on signing him, even if they weren't to try to get some allocation money. Mm-hmm. The tricky part then becomes maybe you don't get a deal for that guy at all. And suddenly that guy is SOL, right? Yeah. So yes, there is still a mechanism because there's always a mechanism in major league soccer and um, bane of my existence. <laughs> but luckily I'm young enough where I can still learn these things and adapt instead of like, <laughs> I'm sure in 20 years where I'm going to struggle with some of these concepts. Um that is that is a part of it. Yeah, there is a first right of refusal there where the allocation money comes in. And like you said, would you rather spend that on someone that you haven't seen at this level or someone you have? The yeah. hard part is sometimes the guy that you've seen at this level is at that level and he's stuck. Right. And and you look at it and say, OK, we coach in a similar level. We have a very similar tactic. We we, we have a couple of players who played at both clubs and it's transferable. We have your reference points, whatever, where maybe you should be less confident in that guy than you are. Mm. And instead you send $150,000 of general allocation money for Kai Kamara, then he doesn't even play for your team in the playoffs really. So, <laughs> you know, I like it. Really good references there. Um, Christian Pirano. Let's not make Jose Gallegos the next uh, Christian Pirano. That's my next yeah. goal right there. Harry brought that up yesterday. Um, all right. We've talked about St. Louis. We've talked about Reno, uh, but we have some reinforcements coming next year. Tell us about expansion in 2021 and on. Yeah. I mean, Oakland Roots is going to be the the obvious focus um, and understandably so. Uh, I think that they're, they're starting to figure out the transfer economy. Um they signed uh re-signing Mahalo. a lot of guys <laughs> they're signing a lot of guys yeah. but they're, they're also spending money on these guys um okay. which is cool in a vacuum right but i, I think that some of these have been outsized yeah. from what the market actually is and there's there's still some i don't know look what we need to keep in mind is that oakland roots up until this moment have been a lifestyle brand who plays some soccer games nisa has not played games and that is for people who, who keep asking why I don't cover NISA, one, I think League One fans, much to their chagrin, will, will point at me and say I don't cover the third division of U.S. soccer as closely as I cover the second as closely as I cover the first division. There's consistency across the pyramid with that. Mm-hmm. Two, NISA hasn't played much. And it's very they're a concept that keeps, for reasons both in and not in their control, have been kept from being able to actualize these concepts. So when you're looking at the Oakland Roots, they haven't had a full season. They haven't played more than like eight, 10 games tops. Hmm. So I, I think that there's still a lot where they're still figuring out internally, what do we need to do? Which players do we bring in? How do we build this roster? Um, to play at a second division level while also translating up from a third division, they barely got to scout and have reference points in to this new second division. So they're figuring some of that stuff out, but I mean, it's, it's going to be great, man. Like it's, I'm very excited about Oakland roots. I think you've seen some clubs who saw the, the incredible promotion when they were announced around how um, community based and socially conscious that club was and said well why don't we get this press and they've tried to be a little better by yeah. it that's fantastic that's a perfect knock on effect and Love you want to see more of that in your community right so that's great they have already kind of pushed the league forward in terms of being members of their community instead of being an entertainment entity within that market um, so that's good I think they'll be very good for that um, I think at this stage the less said about Queensboro, the better um, I noticed it wasn't in there. I was just now realizing that. Yeah. There's there's a couple of things, and I, I understand why. Um, 
I, I know that there's the, the difficult point, and maybe I'll just speak in vagueness at this point, but, but keep in mind, I promise this is all coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, when you so heavily attach a club's founding and its operation around one singular figure within that organization, you better make sure it's the right person. Mm. And it's one thing to look at DeMarcus Beasley in Fort Wayne and say, look what he's going to do for his hometown. Look how early he had to leave Indiana to go to Bradenton, Florida, just to chase his dreams of a career because he knew he would at his core be good enough. Right. And now let's bring that opportunity back to his hometown and find the next DeMarcus Beasley, find the next 20 guys from Indiana, find the next Josh Penn and give them a chance to just sign in the third division as young as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. That's admirable. That's fantastic. Do more of that. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you choose somebody who throughout his entire career has been handled by an outsized representative and like management pool, and he's given the keys to this, like, just do your background research. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. And and the David Villa situation is ugly. It's credible. These accusations are credible. Mm -hmm. they, it needs to be acknowledged, though, because right now the USL hasn't said anything about it, which, fine, I get it, because yeah. they can point to we're not single entity. We are. These clubs operate themselves, and this is their club's thing to do. But that statement put out by Queensborough FC um, where they basically said we stand for inclusion in our community and we also believe David Villa holds those values, basically being a, a pro-Villa statement. That was, frankly, one of the most tone-deaf statements I have ever received in my time as a reporter. Mm. And it's so off the mark in terms of how he acted to staff members who were in college at NYCFC and he was doing this to people who are still in their formative years and, and just looking at them as if it was, okay, well, they are just a prop within my life. And it's just, it's, it's, there, there needs to be some sort of better response than that. We'll see what it is and I'll leave it at that for now. So. Yeah. I just don't see any way. Obviously I think a lot of people will just try to let that rest for as long as possible and then be sure. like, we're back. And then I'm curious at that moment, whether via is around or not. Um, I think the hard part is man, like, does that club exist without via? Do yeah. they put a club in, you think they put a club in Queens if they don't have any sort of like the hard part about it being specifically New York is if you're in, I mean, pick a city, Boston, if you're yeah. in Boston, and and you're like okay well boston doesn't have its own team yet yeah they have a team down in foxborough but like the revs are supposed to be regional even though they're clearly not so like let's just have one that is like north boston or whatever and you're going to build like a little 4000 modular stadium mm -hmm. and try to draw them you don't need a global superstar player who's retired to sell that to boston soccer fans i think the diehards will find it yeah i agree but in new york you need that to be a lightning rod to draw people to them instead of continuing to suffer through games at Yankee Stadium or going all the way up to Harrison, New Jersey to find first division soccer. Those are your alternatives. So you need something where you say, we'll be able to build that stadium in Queens and here's why. Here's the guy who's going to be able to do it. That club is David Villa. Right now, their whole ideology, you don't know much more about what Queensboro is except for their crest and the fact that David V is part of the ownership and helping build the sporting department. If you look at their first hires at technical director, sporting director, and head coach. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's it, it it's hard to envision how that club operates if his influence is completely out of the organization and that's a huge identity crisis for them to figure out i think um maybe you know more than i do i guess i always saw him as a mascot you know what i mean so i, I didn't i i don't know how much money is his so if he's right. a big part of the money figure i would 100 percent. i'm with you like if that stadium doesn't get built without his money like they're screwed right. uh, yeah, that i think then they're screwed but i do think yeah. i think their branding is good i think they're um media stuff has been very good. I think they're looking at the roots and thinking, how can we keep up with those guys? I think that was very clear right. when you mentioned clubs trying to keep up like Queensboro was number one on my thought process when you mentioned there. that. Yeah. Um, but so I think they're amazing. Um, I will also say that um, I lived in New York for a year, just like barely a year. And <laughs> there's, well, yeah, it was tough. tough time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but there's something to, taking a train to Queens versus taking a train to Bronx, it's a giant difference. You know what I mean? And so right. if I can go see a more affordable soccer in Queens, um, where a whole bunch of people of all nationalities, I mean, you bring in any international or any dual national into that club and there's going to be a whole bunch of people interested in that guy. You know what I mean? And so That's I do true. think they stand a very good chance if they can get that soccer stadium. And I'm going to also be the first one to brag about having a soccer specific stadium in the New York boroughs ahead of NYCFC. Yeah, it's like a big F you, right? <laughs> right. A hundred percent. But I, I will say like money is the most important Agreed. thing, but I think relevance is second. And that's where, even if he's not the main investor, which my understanding is that he's not, um, even if that's the case, then yeah, it, they're, they're able to point at him and statements from him as this is why we're trying to do this. And, Anyone who understands soccer from those metropolitan areas will say, okay, we should probably take that guy seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens after this little moment of silence we're experiencing now. Um, I did see one USL championship club and two league one clubs. One's already been announced since this interview, I believe um, will yep. be announced before 2021. Um, one, the one is Fuego football club, which is, Sort of the foxes, but mostly not is what it sounds like. Thank you. Yeah, goodness. what are they calling it? Central Valley or something? It's basically it's basically Fuego is what it's yeah. gonna be. Which yeah. is ideally what you want because that's what the supporters were all about. That's the community right. that um, Edwards was talking about. It's that kind of group. Yeah. No, nope. and I think that's that's good. And it's also, I mean, credit to the USL at that point too for also recognizing that it wasn't the market's fault so to speak why fresno fc didn't work yeah. so we can try it with a lower with the next level down which maybe would have been a better fit for a market of that size anyway and and let's have local ownership instead of someone coming in from further south in the state um i think it makes a lot of sense i think that 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 is something that just the again the soccer purist i'm not rich right so i'm going to be looking at this purely from a soccer purist kind of perspective and that is something that i think is going to be very good and very exciting to follow starting at 22 completely agree league one will be good for them uh foxtrot podcast is going to come back under a different uh name and so look forward to that a lot of good awesome supporters in fresno so i'm happy for them um let's move on from that oh uh first of all you mentioned the monterey in championship thing and all we got was a laugh from edwards that was my favorite part of the interview <laughs> right that that it feels inevitable doesn't it and yeah. we've heard about this for so long and i think it was the winter meetings last december like 12 months ago now where I first was hearing from sources that like it's close to being announced and we still haven't had it. 
and that just screams to me the same issues that came up in Fresno with this owner. Yeah. Um, I know that there are people within the league and its clubs who are confused why the same owner is being given a second chance at the exact same thing, given how Fresno was operated behind the scenes. Um, but nation of second chances, et cetera. And that's what we're getting right now is he has that charter. And unless he sells it, he can use it. And fair play to him for that one. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think that it's very hard to envision any other club launching in 21. I think that Oakland will be it. The only, the only thing I could think of in terms of this league growing yet again before play resumes, whenever it resumes, would be an existing club moving from another league. Hmm. Whether that'll happen, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's not Aww. me necessarily saying that like the Cosmos are finally coming to the USL, but man, the Cosmos <laughs> should go to the USL. The That's USL would be my better first thought. Than the Cosmos are God, I'm dreaming. Now I'm going to be dreaming for a while. I hope I hope for that. Uh, let's talk about USL Women's League, NWSL, and, and its relative, uh, how it will relate to NWSL. Um, it sounds like COVID got it pretty good and it's being pushed off, but at least there's a mention here. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's, that's a really good way to frame it, is that it was going to be something that they were able to put energy towards in a normal season, but as they had so much going on with the return to play and all of that, um, I think it just understandably was pushed aside um Angela's still there Angela Hickels who is still kind of heading up that sort of thing which is fantastic and I, I think that we'll have an update once they have an update mm -hmm. we'll say um it sounds like yes in 2021 they're working towards having some sort of framework and announcement I think now that they're in an off season it's easier for them to kind of do these bigger picture sorts of things instead of the right now and let's get the season back up and running um which was their entire operational focus for 2020 and you can't blame them hmm. um short term versus long term that sort of thing so in that sense um i've heard nothing to suggest that they're trying to challenge the nwsl like a first division fight or whatever i mean this was being spoken about right around the time that louisville launched what at first was proof and now is racing louisville um and they chose to be in the nwsl ecosystem so i, I think that you can also kind of take a Take, take a look at that decision and say either one, they made that decision before they, there was any, you know, before this was a twinkle in the USL's eye or whatever, or two, where they saw they saw themselves as a first division club. They saw USLW, whatever it ends up becoming, mm -hmm. um, being something that is seen as like a second division for US women's soccer. And they decided they want to go first decision. And if that's the case, then that's completely understandable and admirable and does nothing against the end or the, does nothing against the USLW, but we'll see because I think that naturally their 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 club roster will probably look very similar to a percentage of the championship and League One's club roster, and it's going to be a lot of the same owners who are launching sibling clubs, right? And and that's understandable too. So I, I think as many of those ownership groups who remain independent and separate or kind of wait on launching a women's club that might be what they're waiting for. So, I mean, it would be good, right? Like it's, it's more jobs, it's more players getting opportunities, coaches getting opportunities. But again, as is the case on the men's side, what happens with that opportunity is really out of their hands. And that's something I think they're still trying to figure out how to maximize that potential. Yeah. 
And in a country this big, there's a lot of gaps to fill in. And that's another thing that we didn't talk about with the uh, Reserve League. Like, the more clubs, the better, guys. Like, let's just get them out there and see what happens. Um, it doesn't right. hurt anything. Yeah, the, the more well-run clubs. The, well said. The more yes, well-run clubs, the better. Especially in light of our last conversation here, uh, last topic. Uh, Pro Roll was mentioned. Got the same answer, right? Yep. Yep. Good. Same answer. Do we need to say much more than that? Nope. I don't know. Moving on. Great. Uh, this is a big one. 2021 format. Are they going to be different? I noticed we're not going to do the small groups, but we also might not have two large conferences. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I could foresee um, I could foresee a scenario where you have, like, I don't know, time zones, basically. And you have, like, the the Pacific, the Mountain, the... Or maybe you call it the Heartland Division, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But like, I think that yeah, they looked at the the lack of relevance around playoff seeding time, mm. as you saw all of these clubs playing each other for the third and fourth time. And yeah. I think that they saw a, a dip in interest or um, potential to either put these games on ESPN's airwaves or what have you, and, and they realized as they need a little more variety. And so it's asking more of their owners, right, in terms of, you know, you won't just be traveling within 500 miles wherever yeah. we can contain it. But you also have to recognize that sometimes you need to have Sacramento play someone besides Reno. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or El Paso and New Mexico, where you just need to have that variety for integrity and for credibility. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to move it from the eight groups that they had to the four divisions that they might have. I mean, maybe it means that kind of long anticipated by people like you and me based in the Midwest, that central conference that we would love to see so much mm-hmm. um, purely for the sake of our club's travel budget, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Maybe that's what that means. And it's three, but, but I, I think that it will be broader than it was this year. Yeah, uh, completely agree. That's good of them to uh, feel that out and change it. Um, safety concerns of course so i kind of hope they wait till the very last minute to decide what playoffs look like so that they do it based on whatever the stage covid would be in because uh, yeah. you know the more uh yeah i was disappointed there wasn't more variety but it was the right choice at the time so hopefully we get that next year with perhaps with a vaccine um the cba this is a big one you just put out a great article about <laughs> this about the new partnership with the uslpa tell us everything you know yeah yeah it's um so they're they're partnering with the cwa and the the cwa um basically started as the telephone operators um union over 100 years ago and so it it is like a very large communications and media people um union across the united states and canada it has over 700,000 active members i believe And, and the idea here is that for an executive council which has been three current or recently retired professional players there's only so much time in a day to be able to get to see every possible perspective before going to the table so to speak and so it's it's additional resources it's having negotiators or organizers who are able to give sort of you know we've been there sort of testimonial experience that then the uslpa can glean information from um i i think that it's Two years is such a long time, man, from when someone gets voluntarily recognized as a union to when they finally get an agreement with management. It's almost unheard of. And I think that people looked at COVID and said that was why. That wasn't why. Mm. 
that wasn't the main factor why there isn't a CBA yet. I think it's it's a it's a confused ownership pool and and some sides of the league that might look at it and say why do we need this? Why no other lower division soccer operation right. in the world has something like this? Like it's kind of weird that MLS even has one because it's so americanized though it makes a ton of sense. But I think that there are still some people who say, why do we need this? What what are we giving up? But what are we getting? Because in a negotiation, it's always going to be how close to 50-50 can we get it? And if we can get it to 55-45 in our advantage, we're happy, right? And I, I think that they're struggling from an ownership, and it's really sad, but they're, they're struggling to see the value in setting minimum standards to ensure that you don't have clubs falling off every single year because clubs have folded in the USL every single year of its existence. Yeah. That's not good. Certainly of its relevant existence, if we're talking 2015 onward, we'll say. Because yeah. um, the first four years were, were a lot of figuring out what it would be in the USL Pro era. Um, you've had multiple clubs fold every single year. You can't tell me that you don't need some sort of minimum standard safeguard to ensure that that doesn't happen as routinely as it has. Because as much as we talk about how expansion is like the main part of what the USL's identity has been throughout the 2010s folding has been a big part of its identity as well. And they need to reckon with that. And frankly, they need to do a better job of making sure that they don't let that continue. Oh man. See, uh, first of all, I see there being folding folded teams for the next five years, at least. I, I still think it's going to yeah. keep happening because they're growing too fast. And I think that's how you phrased one of these questions was like, are you worried about owners with the trajectory you're on, which is, yeah, values are going way up. And with those values going up, I means that's that's the part where because of players being in these places and people coming to see them, their values going right. up, they're getting more ticket sales. So that's the bonus. That's what the players have on their side. Like, hey, look what we're doing for you. You can't get increases without us getting increases. So it's only fair. But sure, it is scary as hell if you're uh, an owner and you're seeing guys fold, it could be you next year. It could be you the next year. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary both ways. And you get Edwards and, and the USL staff are walking a very tight line here about, you know, and, and luckily I think their message has been smart. It seems to me, unless he's lying through his teeth, um, Jake Edwards knows that this is necessary. This is what's going to make them more professional and make them move on to the next level, but sure is scary for his owners. I would say talking about the cba specifically yeah like yeah. we got to support these yeah. players we got to protect them we got to protect the bottom the floor um as the ceiling raises and um yeah i mean he, i think he's on board with that it's just you know he's the one also talking to the owners <laughs> right that's right yeah and in by and large he's actually just he's responding to what the owners want right yeah. but ends up having to be the face um who who's kind of put his feet to the fire to, to really force a metaphor i guess um but i i think that you look and and you it just so many people myself like for me personally i'll just i'll just frame it in me i have such a hard time understanding how someone could possibly see establishing a floor be bad <laughs> or be like be something that's counterintuitive to your own operation because it's yes maybe you're going to be investing more maybe the days of giving a guy housing and appearance money contracts are done which they should have been years ago mm -hmm. but maybe this finally means yes you can't offer those contracts anymore but in return, you're going to get better players. You're going to have fans more interested because you actually have a standard set up. You're going to have players who are saying, hey, people should come to this. They're going to be more engaged in the community, these sorts of things. Like there's a tangible knock-on effect to making sure your employees are happy, frankly, at the end of the day, no matter what part of industry you're in. So 
Um, I think that, you know, will, will it get there this off season? We'll see. The CWA partnership certainly changes that calculus a bit. I think that people, it, it got lost much more than I think it should have, that, that piece that I put out on Tuesday, um, because it also talks about two of the central things that they're looking for in a CBA, which are minimum compensation and uh, fixed salary or fixed contract terms, at least a 10-month contract, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, like if you're looking at those, yes, those are very player friendly. And yes, clubs will miss being able to give six or seven month contracts because they're paying an extra three. Yeah. That doesn't, depending on what you were paying in those six, seven months, you might not be spending more money. You just might be spreading it out further. Yeah. So, well, it's just so freaking obvious. Like, hey, uh, we want a CBA. Hey, players, what are the biggest problems in your life? And it's those two freaking things. It's so freaking obvious that they're taking advantage of them in those situations. Not only that, those are probably the two number one things that players, um, their lives get upended over are those two things, especially. Right. And, and you hear about it from player year after year. And so um, when it's that obvious, gosh, it just needs to happen, people. And two years is too long. I'm saddened to hear that it wasn't necessarily because of COVID um, as, as far as you can tell. So that sucks. Um, but, you know, speaking of things that suck, we also had to deal with a lot of verbal abuse um, that happened last year. And I, I, again, I liked how Jake Edwards spoke about it because he's like, apparently this is still a fucking problem, basically, if I were right. to rephrase what right. he said. And he's like, and, and this is where I, I, I pointed out in the beginning is they didn't, they probably didn't realize at best that they needed so many protections, uh, but they did and they didn't have them and it really came to bite them this year. Yeah, and it's. I think what becomes most worrisome, troublesome, is that it's not necessarily as if you've had a similar rate. I mean, three in two years, right? Like, if you're going to look at three, whatever it is in two years, like, it's not like a, an outsized, like, for, for most topics, three in two years is not a trend yet. Hmm. But when you're talking about verbal discriminatory abuse on the field, it very much is. When you consider that three in two years, Major League Soccer hasn't had a single controversy in the last like three or four, mm. um, that's where you look at it and say, okay, something's a problem here. Um, yes, I think that the being able to do implicit bias training this offseason across any person involved in the USL ecosystem, that will help. Um, but it's just that they... I mean, you saw that they just weren't equipped with how to adequately handle it. And things like, why would you stand in the way of a club wanting to forfeit a game, even if it's already been played? Like, if people talk about, like, you don't want to set a precedent, but, like, who else is going to come to the league and say, actually, I felt like we didn't earn those three points. Please take them away. No one's going <laughs> to do that. That's not a scenario that exists. Yeah. So, like, let them, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. don't point at FIFA and say, like, you know, a club felt like they didn't deserve these three points because the game had been forfeited for something one of their players did, talking about Phoenix Rising. They wanted to abdicate those points, which would have gotten rid of the seeding controversy, the yeah. hosting controversy, so many of these other things. But because the league was like, well, FIFA says we can't do that, and they don't have a playbook for this circumstance necessarily, but like, sorry, Phoenix, we're going to let you become the brunt, the lightning rod of this yeah. whole discussion, and everyone's going to turn you into it like a pantomime villain. Like... Phoenix would put in a terrible spot for something that one of their players said. And that's not fair. And that's on the league at that point for not being able to react in real time, logically and effectively, um, specifically in the instance of Phoenix wanting to get rid of those three points. Mm. And then who paid for it in the end? Phoenix paid for it. Yeah. And that's not, that's, that's not 
like uh, sustainable. That's not something that you can keep on doing and continue to pass the buck off to either FIFA or the clubs. And you conveniently in the middle of those two tiers are absolved of any sort of responsibility. That can't be the case. And I think that they start to recognize that, but again, it's retroactive. Yeah. It's too late. It's reactionary instead of being proactive. And that's something that is so frustrating, but um, that is why they are focusing so much on addressing that ahead of 2021 so that that doesn't happen again if there's more discriminatory language on the field absolutely yeah and it's really important i think people we need to post that story because i don't think people really know i think there was a lot of outcry against phoenix and um there wasn't they didn't have a a defense to stand on even though they kind of did the right thing in certain circumstances they shot themselves in the foot a few times on top of that after the situation but absolutely but they tried to do what was right and um that needs to get out better for sure um the things they did to try to count the retroactive things that they're trying to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, I have enjoyed uh, Black Player Alliance uh, work that's been done since they started, and it is a partnership. Um, Institute for Social Justice is an education program that they're going to do to fight verbal abuse mm-hmm. in the USL. And I feel like that's that's like such a simple, no-brainer thing that they should have had years ago because I, I honestly think – there's a little bit of a culture thing here. I don't know if people are going to hate me for saying this, but you know, in Jamaica, I think maybe you can say that a little easier. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm just saying that maybe no, it's, it's more, it's more common. It's more acceptable. Yeah. It's part of it. I mean, like you can find like a tribe called quest uses the phrase in question in oh. their own lyrics that like five dog is be, being from Trinidad originally. And then moving up to the Bronx, like he ends up being like, he says, you know, Bati boy, in, in his own lyrics at certain or like move on something, something with your body face. Like that is something mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, he does, you know, like, and, and that, like you said, like, it's not necessarily that it's like good or acceptable. It's just more prevalent. Yeah. In that community. And, and so like, all I'm saying is like when, before the league starts, just play one of those stupid videos that a training video and just be like, here's a list of words that are common in other countries that are not acceptable here. Don't use them or you're getting a red card. And you're getting suspended, which is another thing they're going to do. They're going to adjust the um, penalties for those things, including you can't win uh, player of the year or whatever. Um, obviously, was a problem right. this year. So. Why is that a focus this year? That's that's funny. I don't know why necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Man. I do think those things are going to help and they're probably going to work to a certain extent. But like you said, retroactive isn't quite as, as helpful as you know it not happening. It's just a matter of like, not just reputation, but so much of this is still about reputation because the USL is still trying to establish itself, not just in American soccer, but in the greater, in their community's relevance and in the, the conversation of American sports or global soccer or both. And and so I, I think that it's just, if you're constantly reactionary and you're constantly being put up against it and only responding after something boils over or after the dumpster lights on fire, um, that's not a good part of your reputation to be building, but it is a part of the reputation that the USL has already established for itself within U.S. soccer, and it's going to take some proactive work now to counteract the reputation that the league now has. Absolutely. Um, that's it, man. That's the entire article. Again, wonderful job. Are there any anything you want to cover before we kind of move on to the next year? We've got a, quite a bit of a break here, more than likely it's looking like. Yeah, we, we do have a break. Um, I, I mean, I just, I, I mean, personally, I want to thank the subscribers to The Athletic. I think that the 
the amount of coverage, certainly by one person, it, it ebbs and flows, right? Because I am doing so much of this USL coverage, but none of it would be happening if there wasn't an audience that wanted it. So truly, thank you. Um, that that has helped keep that a part of the purview of the publication. Um, otherwise, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be a long off season, but we, we, there's a lot that's going to be going on. I, I don't think that you should look at it as a quiet off season necessarily. Um, yeah. That CBA thing is going to be so huge, though, in terms of when do play when do teams start signing their full rosters instead of just the one or two players that they think they need to secure um, because other clubs will take them first. That's going to play a huge role. Just just keep tabs on the CBA thing, man. It's important. It's going to change so much about the league's dynamic compared to any other thing that you're going to see this offseason. Any expansion market that's going to be hyped up. Any. Um, competition change to this year in terms of travel and all of this sort of stuff, the CBA is going to be looming large over all of this. So make sure that you're keeping tabs on that. If you're a fan of the USL, not just keep tabs, but be active, like actively say that you stand, I stand with the players. I'm saying that now I stand with the players because if this is truly a league that cares about the community base and the connection to the community and the community cares about some kind of a floor for the players, well, then it would be pretty fucking hypocritical if they weren't to listen to that community saying those things. So we have power as fans. They need us. Um, they want us to come to games next year. They want us to love the players. They want us to love our league and geek out and, and love on our league like like I do um, to mm -hmm. a fault. Um, and so I think that's vital for that to move on. I hope owners are listening to that as well. Uh, and I will say, too, that if 2020 has taught you anything about how hard they were pushing to put fans in stadiums this year, they really yes. wonder about what you think and they really wonder about what you prioritize and what's going to make you more likely to get season tickets or to encourage friends to do the same or is going to cause you to leave it entirely. So yes, be vocal about this to your clubs um, through, through the appropriate channels because they will listen to you. They have no choice. That's their yeah. sustainability. Listen, yeah. I mean, we're getting into it, but like a really practical thing is don't buy season tickets till we have a CBA. Imagine like buying your Literally. season tickets three months later than you did last year. You know what I mean? That speaks Notice. to a club. So that's another, that's one idea we can do as fans maybe. So, all right, Jeff, thanks so much, man. Thanks for all the work you do all year and uh, for talking to me and, and keeping in contact throughout the season. It's been a helpful, helpful to me for sure. And uh, we all love reading your stuff, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, keep it up. I know it's a it, it's a grind, certainly, <laughs> to do the, the weekly podcast or however frequently you've dipped down to. But it's um, I, I think for all of you who interact with the league and stuff like, again, like none of what I'm doing lands if there isn't people, who, if there aren't people who want it. So, um, yeah, thanks to you as well. And for, for everyone else and stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Don't go places you don't need to go to. Just uh it sucks. I'm sick of it. I'm very <laughs> sick of it. But like, it doesn't mean that if I protest that and suddenly start going to delis or whatever all the time, that it's going to get any better. So be smart about it. Yep. Uh, I second that. Thanks again, man. We'll uh, talk to you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.